On this special concert series edition of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Porcupine Tree. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this special concert series edition of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and Paul Sauter as Ken and I recount our recent experiences seeing Porcupine Tree. gentlemen yes joe, joe have we ever like f- uh, have we ever proven to ourselves that we were we saw porcupine tree at merlion <laughs> it's weekend it's I, I, it's funny you should bring that up paul because i i'm pretty sure like we here on the palaver have been running around with this story that somehow we got into Stephen Wilson because we saw Porcupine Tree in Holland in 07. And I'm pretty sure that you have asked that question before. Do we really know that's the case? And as is often the case with me, independently, I decided to verify that story. And I remembered later that you had brought it up. But I did some digging around and I found no evidence either on Setlist FM, on um, websites I found about the Marillion Weekends, certainly the specific one we were at, I see no evidence um, on the interwebs that we ever, in fact, saw Porcupine Tree. That makes me feel better because the, the baloque that I went up to and in a somewhat buzzed state, when hey, uh, I'm from America. I thought you guys were really awesome. Uh, wasn't Stephen Wilson? <laughs> so, so there is there is one piece of evidence. I don't know if you guys recall the envelope. Remember, we had I, they they sent me an envelope that weekend, and all of our stuff was in the envelope. And I still have that envelope somewhere, and I haven't been able to dig it out. But I remember whatever night it was, and I want to say it was the Saturday night. I think it was the middle performance, but I don't know that for a fact. But we got a little card for whatever band it was that we saw. And I have that card, and it's in that envelope. I just haven't found that envelope yet. So at some point, I'll dig around in my stash of of historical treasures, and I will answer this question. But as of right now... No evidence that we've ever seen Porcupine Tree before this. And so by extension, I have no idea how we actually got into Stephen Wilson. Okay. Well, incidentally, I just want to add that I have a brown envelope that will, <laughs> with which contents will preclude any members of the Palaver from ever, ever obtaining political office. <laughs> Um, uh, and I know exactly where it is. However, uh, so I, I mean, I, I think I told the Stephen Wilson story when we covered off on, 
on Stephen Wilson that uh, Reed, my friend Reed and yeah. Dave Ayers went to see, and you know, Reed was like, "Hey, you want to go see Stephen Wilson?" I'm like, "Of course I do." Can you remind me who he is? <laughs> and he and he was like, "He's the, the guy from Porcupine Tree." And I was like, "Ah, yes." And the late and great death-defying Matt Blasick uh, had sent me CDs of Porcupine Tree back in the um, mid 2000s, late uh, mid 2000s. Um, and that's how I originally heard of them before uh, I started. Uh, but I, I wasn't quite at the level of fandom that I would say I am now. Yeah. Um, which, of course, is the level of fandom in which you purchase Porcupine Tree tickets a year in advance <laughs> and then schedule three other things on that same date so you can't go. <laughs> a year in advance. That is amazing. So as it we must have been March. Was that it when, when I picked up that ticket from Dave Ayers? Because it was uh, it was it was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I I I don't. I should have looked at the date because the date was almost a big problem for me as well. Um, but that's what happens when when you hear Porcupine Tree. You do irrational things. You know. You just oh, I need that. I, I've got to do you know my mea culpa here in that. I still, to this day, do not own any porcupine tree. Wow. In in the lead up for the show, and I bought, um, Sarah and I bought our tickets, I think, three weeks before that show. I didn't even know they were coming to, to Texas. I wasn't particularly interested. Um, and something, you know, there's something about this whole porcupine tree coming back and um, closure continuation that just didn't grab me for whatever reason. And I just wasn't paying attention. And it was when Marco, or I'm sorry, Randy McStein was, you know, started announcing that he was going to be the, the guitarist. Cause I follow Randy on Instagram and I started, you know, I started getting amped up. And honestly, I think I went to this show because of Randy McStein. And, um, you know, so in the in the three weeks leading up to it, I started listening. And, you know, there's a lot there that I definitely liked. But I, I, I certainly, as much as I enjoy everything else I've heard from Stephen Wilson, and I've, I own all the solo work and I own all of the Blackfield, um, Porcupine Tree wasn't necessarily my jam it was one of those shows that i sort of i treated it like i treated tori amos show i i never feel fully prepared for tori amos show because she's got way too much music and you just never know what she's going to play and you just kind of go and expect to hear great music and that's exactly what happened at porcupine tree it was phenomenal but i i i wasn't prepared and i'm still not prepared we uh, we we already talked about um, the future bites, correct? We, yes, we did. We, we just we, we just did. recorded that not too terribly long ago. So I don't I don't think we brought this up, but I I think one of the f interesting things about the closure continuation, I think one of the interesting things is that the timing of it, right? If you don't really know what's going on, which I I rarely do, um, it it seemed a little funny, you know how Stephen Wilson took this sharp left turn with the future bites did that whole thing and then like and you know there i i don't know if there was a major revolt on that but people didn't like it as much as as you know other stephen wilson 
I, I'm gathering from what I've what I've read on the social medias. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like now it's up. Oh, Porcupine Tree's coming back. Right. Got got rid of the bass player and um, and we're coming back. And it just seemed like, oh, wow, how, how convenient, you know, like, you know, Stephen Wilson pissed off his fans and now he's bringing back, you know, he's he's going to really cash in. But then, of course, you find out that they've been working on this album in the background for like the last 10 years or so. <laughs> and, you know, it's just kind of been, you know, the time is right. And, you know, not for nothing, Gavin Harrison's pretty prolific, um, you know, on the side. So, I mean, it's probably just as difficult to get his schedule freed up to do anything with Porcupine Tree as it is anyone else's. So just to throw in what could have been a potential segue in between uh, Stephen Wilson's To The Bone Tour and this Porcupine Tree Tour, there could have been a Future Bites Tour that would have included a full rendition of Porcupine Trees Voyage 34, which is kind of an early techno influence thing with like little sequences and whatnot. Uh, and that, that could have been the kind of natural segue between the poppy rock and roll of To the Bone through the poppy techno trippiness of Future Bites and Voyage 34. And then, you know, that would have been like, ooh, you covered a Porcupine Tree album. Are you going to do Porcupine Tree? And then, bam! I, 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 but that turned out just to be a idea rather than a tour. But that well, I mean, that could that have was, been a beautiful thing. That could have been. there. He did play some Porcupine Tree songs on um, the To the Bone, Bone Tour. I want to say when I saw him, he did... Uh, he did the creator has a master tape. He did. Um, I don't think I ever got to see him do trains, but I know he did trains on the tour. Um, oh, wow. And I, and I got to hear him do um, the sound of music, which I um, liked. I'm pretty sure there were um, other songs that he had, had, you know, put through there. Um, so, yeah, you're right, Ken. That would have been an interesting segue as well but i mean as it turns out like i was kind of i was kind of afraid like when i listened to you know uh, closure continuation that it was gonna feel like oh this is the stephen wilson album that everybody wanted and um i was also afraid it was gonna be like that uh that tool album that that required 13 years to make which i thought was a complete you know, rehash of everything else they'd ever done. It was really, in my opinion, a disappointment. Um, and I found closure continuation to be neither of the two. I thought, I think it's actually quite awesome. So, Paul, this is really cool. That that Fillmore show we saw for To the Bone, November 2018, actually had the creator has a masterpiece. Don't hate me, Lazarus, Lazarus. And uh, let me see. Heart attack and a laby. Never knew what that was. Yeah. Oh, sleep together. Interesting. So, Even less and Sound of Music. Wow. There was a lot of Porcupine Tree. Yeah. When I saw him in 2019, he did The Creator Has a Master Tape, Arriving Somewhere But Not Here, Lazarus, Heart Attack and a Laby, Sleep Together, 
even less uh and the sound of music he also did sign of the times by prince true we got that uh he didn't do the uh queen's version of sign of the times oh don't go there now <laughs> <laughs> so i i remember um sarah and i were discussing this um because she had something to say about steven and i can't remember what it was it was something along the lines of he's quite full of himself isn't he and I said, yes, yes, he is. But um, I remember on that tour specifically, he bitched that Setlist FM listed the Porcupine Tree songs as covers under his setlist, even though he wrote them. Well, technically. It helps the user uh, find the album by it. So just think of it as a benefit. You're not selling me. Sell Stephen Wilson. <laughs> so I, I've told the story before. I'll tell it again, right? Um, way back in the day, Jay and I went to see uh, Rollins Band and I believe the Trocadero in Philly. And I'll be honest, Rollins Band musically did not do anything for me. But Henry Rollins talking in between songs was absolutely delightful. I wished Henry Rollins would talk all the time. And of course, Henry Rollins does um, spoken word shows. I've seen him do two now in my life, and it's been absolutely perfect. Um, I absolutely love Stephen Wilson as a musician. Wish I would never, ever have to hear him talk. And he was actually, in in Dallas here, he was actually much more human, much less annoying, but he was still very annoying um, compared to when I saw him in 2019. Um, he's just not I don't know. He just doesn't come across well. Like I just, the, the, the amount of respect I have for him is immense, but the amount that he pisses me off is incredible. Wow. I didn't think this, this review was going to go in that direction. Wow. Well, that, not, that's, that's, that's the only bad thing I have to say about um, him or it. It was a, you know, overall a phenomenal show. So, let me ask you guys a question, because not being versed in Porcupine Tree, um, a lot of what I listen to seems more in the prog vein. So this question occurred to me. Do we think that all things being equal, The Raven That Refused to Sing was the one Stephen Wilson record that could or should have been a porcupine tree record. Wow. Hmm. Wow. I I'm gonna disagree. I, I I'm not sure that I agree myself. I'm just asking the question. My first my first thought is to say that the Raven that refused to sing and other stories are uh, or is it other stories? Yes. That, that mm -hmm. Is um is is more rooted in the classic prog uh aura if you will yes and i and i think that um whether you know whether anyone wants to agree or not i think that porcupine tree is more uh level in the um if you don't mind me using the term neo prog <laughs> or if or you will <laughs> or perhaps <laughs> Or perhaps even, you know, dabbling the tolls in the water of, you know, prog metal. Um, so, 
But it is the proggiest album that he has. And Porcupine Tree, wow. on the whole, seems to be more proggy than Stephen. I, I feel like Hand, hand Cannot Erase. Well, and, and that's so that's the weird thing, right? So Stephen's got groups of two. The first two are more quiet and ambient. The middle two, very proggy. And then the uh, the last two obviously bend more into the accessible realm. I'm not going to use the P word. But anyway, it was just it was just a question that I thought was maybe interesting for the purposes of discussion. It's yeah, an interesting thought. I I mean, I think those are fighting words for fans of um um you know, Guthrie, Adam, and Nick, right? I mean, it's just not fair to that that creative trio, Nick Beggs, Guthrie Govan, and Adam Holtzman, who... Not, not to mention Marco. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Well, and, Marco, I'm going to... Yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe, you know, maybe those albums are as good as they are because of the people. I, I, I just... Putting it out there because I, you know, like I said, I didn't know anything about um, Porcupine Tree, but I got to tell you, Gavin Harrison impressed the hell out of me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I thought he was fantastic. And I am, I've got an absolute man crush going on Randy McStein right now. It's stupid. He's a stud. I mean, they should just invite Randy into the band because... Him and Stephen singing together sounded wonderful. Oh, good! I'm glad you must have had good seats, or at least at least a good auditorium. Uh, actually, I had neither, but it still worked out pretty well. I gotta say, I I will never go to the balcony of the Met again. Uh, really, Metropolitan a- Opera House in Philadelphia yeah. needs uh, bass tuning. Mm. You know, or something. I mean, all night. No, n- no matter what Nate played, Nate Navarro, it just sounded wrong. It, it just, it, it was like every other note was was like twenty decibels different than the previous note. Mm. And I think it was just the 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 natural tuning of the theater, which is insane because it's an opera house. You would th- think it would have some, you know. It, it, softer seats and, and 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 the rounded surfaces and and all the different places for the sound to go. It it, it just was a, a horrible oh. well, base you know, experience opera, for me. Opera house isn't necessarily built for you know loud amplified music. I wonder if that has anything to do with. That's crazy though. That's but, too bad because there's yeah. just too many. I mean, we've experienced so much. You know, and you guys, I think more so recently, just that it's getting too, the sound is, the potential for good sound it shows is getting too frequent to just have a bad one, you know? Well, I mean, um, the sound at the Met can be near perfect, at least, you know, this is only my second time there, but the first one was King Crimson. I was behind the soundboard and I was in awe. It, (laughs) It was great. And then I saw King Crimson at the Man Music Center, and it was all kick drum, and it was yeah. all wrong for me, and we, we reviewed it. Um, 
so I had it in my mind, oh, I'm going back to the Met. This is going to be fantastic. And it was largely except for that, you know, base experience. And it's just one of those mm. things. Either the room does it well or it doesn't. Kind of, we, we, we remarked about the basiness of the room in Texas and uh, Granada Theater where we yeah. saw Marillion. And there was just something off about the base in that room, right? Mm. Yeah. So I, I, one quick thing, just in case the listeners haven't picked up for clear, very clearly, that I did not attend the Porcupine Tree show as I had originally intended. So I, I missed it. So I, I would say that, you know, your comment about Randy McStein, I, what I have seen and heard from him is that I feel like he could, he could be standing next to anyone singing and, and elevate, elevate that, that show. Um, to me, he just is a ridiculous powerhouse and, um, I'm super psyched that he got this gig. And that, you know, he's kind of thrust to the front of, of um, you know, front and center of, of prog rock, if you will. Yeah. Because it's just really exciting for him to see what, what the possibilities could be. Um, um, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's interesting to me what, what could happen. And, and with that said, I'm going to try to, you know, go into the background, listen to your experiences, and maybe ask, you know... Yeah provocative questions that come to mind if possible come on it's obvious what randy needs to do he, he needs to get to nick beggs uh holtzman he's already done mark a minimum i mean he, he needs to play with 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 everyone in the steven universe right it's just like collect them all like action figures let's <laughs> let's go <laughs> so it's it's funny you talk about the venue ken because i saw um porcupine tree at the Toyota Music Factory in Irving, Texas. And previous shows that I have seen in this venue include Tori Amos, which was a terrible fit, and the Royal Affair Tour, um, which was reasonable, I guess. The, the, music fact, the Toyota Music Factory in Irving is, again, imagine a classic outdoor amphitheater in the vein of, I forget what they call it anymore in Dallas, the, uh, I think it's the Star, it used to be the Starplex when I moved to Dallas, now it's probably like Dos Equis Pavilion, or um, what is it in Philadelphia, was it the Man Music Center? Um, you know, just a, an outdoor amphitheater Pavilion. where, yeah, where parts of it are, are covered and there's usually a grass area. So imagine one of those with garage doors. Right. So right. you don't have to have it all outside if you don't want to. Um, that's exactly what this place is. So we noticed when we came in, there are three levels of seats. On the last level, the 300 block, the, the sections on the far end of either side were, were blocked off. And we were sitting sort of, we were in the 300s, um, but we were on stage left. So right side of the house, not the Randy McStein section. And I'm wondering if I, and I, I have this conspiracy theory, I'm wondering if I didn't actually, I think I bought tickets on Randy's side because I knew I wanted to see Randy. And I wonder if they 
relocated me because they closed those sections um, oh. is my thought. But anyway, the, the, the long and short of it is it was one of those shows where, again, the only thing I really wanted or needed to see was Randy McStein, and he was very far away from me. Um, but we were like sort of towards the back of the house, which meant that we had a perfect unobstructed view of this quite spectacular stage show um, that was married perfectly with this wonderful music. Now, again, historically, this particular venue has had dubious sound qualities at best. Um, and in the beginning, it was very boomy. And there was there was way too much um, bottom end, but they seemed to sort that out reasonably well. It was never perfect, but it did get better throughout the night. And um, yeah, I mean, overall, it sounded great. And you know, it was it was a good mix in that, like, I could very clearly hear both Stephen and Randy singing, which was very nice. Nice, nice. Yeah, um, I had no problem hearing Randy singing. It was a total joy. And I have to brag. I mean, I, 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 I was, you know, six feet away from him for a solo show uh, just what, three years ago. And, uh. and, and, and I'm not going to say I discovered Randy McStein. Uh, <laughs> 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 because it was truly... Um, he was opening for Robert Barry, and he was part of the Prague Stock family, and he had made a name for himself already. Uh, but I, I, I truly took a, you know, a huge liking to what he was doing back then, and could not have anticipated this, but embraced it fully. Um, and 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 it, we target his vocals right away because th that is perhaps the most elusive part of you know fulfilling the john wesley role right? right there are many guitarists in the world but oh my you know you need a powerhouse voice to fill those shoes uh having seen john wesley as many times as we have opened for marillion and then um being aware of his uh not only live but he's on record with with porcupine tree so, so Wesley is a legend, and uh, for for Randy to fill those shoes is just epic, truly epic. And isn't there some sort of um, relationship between John Wesley and and Randy? Is there some sort of connection? I honestly don't know if they ever got together, collaborated, or anything. Uh, my understanding is that Wesley has pretty been pretty much exclusively with Vertical Horizon. They mm. keep him very busy it sounds like that's a, a full-time job yeah i'm not sure how that happens but okay yeah it's just a, a slightly different genre right how vertical horizon is awesome i i, I and, know but and, and name me that one, name me that name me five vertical Beard. horizon songs name me five <sighs> exactly okay i can do it wait <laughs> give me a chance here give me a chance i only know okay. one so what's the one that you know ken uh, if I hear it, I'll every everything <laughs> everything he wants. Yeah, that's one. Uh, uh, you're a god. That's two. Uh, um, we are. That's three. Wow, we are you're good. The, you're the best I've ever had, which was actually also 
uh, done by some country artist. I want to say the Australian guy who got mm. nice teeth once he got famous. Um, <laughs> uh, that's four. Uh, and then I could probably name more, but I'll go with uh, Instamatic, which was the song he did. they did with Neil Peart on the drums, which is fucking awesome. Okay. Boom. Awesome. I, uh, I, I am put in my place, Mr. Zotter. <laughs> wow. I had no idea John Wesley was, was, was with them. Yeah, he, um, he joined them, what, a year or two ago, I think? That's good. You do what you got to do. I mean, he can't make any money touring with, yeah, uh, with uh, Fish. So, sure. Um, that's probably a good gig. I, I, think, I think your point is very well taken, Paul, that we elevate prog artists and put them on a pedestal. They're musicians just like other musicians, and they wander into the, the pop spheres because they have friends there and gigs there, and it makes perfect sense. That's right. So that's why we have Asia today. So, <laughs> <laughs> so many different Asias. All the Asias. <laughs> All the Asias. Yeah, I still haven't seen Asia featuring John Payne. So there, there is one other sort of overarching elephant in the room that I would like to address with regards to the Porcupine Tree Show. I found it to be funny at the Toyota Music Factory. There are lots of video screens throughout the concession and merchandise area and um, lots of information being provided to you. And then I get to my seat and the screen behind the stage is providing me the same information. Good evening and welcome to the show. By request of the band, this concert is a, quote, phone-free event, end quote. We respectfully request no photography or videoing the show. And um, I seem to recall um, in 2019, Stephen making a bit of a, pitching a bit of a fit about phones. And um, it, it must be, you know, part of the, of the writer for the show because the ushers were very diligent about, Same. about making sure that people did not have their phones out and were not recording things. Um, so this is a special concert series edition where there will be no, uh, no live clips from the show because I've got to respect the artist. If they don't want me to record, I will not record period. Wonderful. So, yeah, I mean, that's the way the Stephen Wilson shows were as well. It's got to be an annoying thing, you know, to work as an usher when you're charged with that sort of nonsense. But I, I, I mean, I like it. I like the idea. I like the idea of people just putting their phones away and just experiencing the show. Absolutely. They waited until the second set in Philly, at least in the balcony. And they had, you know, a first line crew of about four people who were going and tapping people on the shoulder and they and they had um backup staff um that seemed to be a mixture of security and concession people that comprised four to six people and then they actually you know they investigated some of what they saw and they actually ejected someone and i overheard really that. I overheard that that person actually used flash photography ah. uh, uh which which would v very much um bother the audience now i'm gonna turn that around on the bands stop putting spotlights in my eyes whether <laughs> whether it's you know that happened to me 
with uh, Peter Hook, you know, doing his uh, Joy Division New Order awesome revival show that I saw. It, it's happened to me with so many artists, um, and some of them are worse than others. Uh, I, I, I just don't, I mean, I mean, if it's the part where you're supposed to, you know, sing along, and the band wants to see you singing along, and you're clapping, and you're part of the show... But until that happens, keep the light out of my eyes. Uh, um, so, okay, you want to you want to hassle us for flash photography? That's your right. But you know, think about our eyes too. Um, <laughs> Salvo fired from Mr. Gregory. <laughs> oh my God! All right. Um, so, so moving into the show, Ken, I happen to pull up the set list from Setlist FM for both your show and my show. They are exactly the same, with one exception. Oh, what would that exception be? And that would be uh, Song 9. You got to see Half-Light, which apparently was a tour debut and first performance since 2008, whereas I got Last Chance to Evacuate Planet Earth before it's recycled, which means I got to see the crazy Heaven's Gate guy, which was kind of fun. Hmm. But other than that, the uh, the set list was exactly the same. Now it's interesting um, because we were we were discussing after our show, right? And and I think this is this came up when um, when Paul, you and I talked about the Stephen Wilson show that I saw. Stephen Wilson, in virtually everything he does, comes across as meticulous or calculated depending on your particular perspective um and this show was no different he had his rock moves you know where he flings his hair and isn't he cool and he seemed to walk over to to randy or or nate at the appropriate times um you know, he's got his goofy things that he does when he's talking, and it, it, just everything about him seems very, very choreographed and meticulous. And so I thought it was funny um, when, and he, he ended up doing this twice. He did it on I Drive the Hearse, and he did it um, in Trains. He basically screwed up the intro. So they started, and he stopped, and he said, oh, I, that's the wrong lyrics. And really? You could, you could kind of see a, a reset button hit on the, the light board, and then they, they went back and restarted the song. Wow. And, and Sarah and I were like, actually, you know, she says, does he do that often? And I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of the show. So I went through, and I looked at a couple of set lists, and it, it you know, things like this are listed, but they're infrequent. And they're not always in the same place. So I think Stephen just literally fucked up twice, which is kind of funny in a way. Um, I know. I did not perceive him in Philadelphia to be so calculated. I thought he was letting down his hair. Now, I, I love the movement that he does when he approaches the mic. He never goes to the mic until he's going to sing. Mm -hmm. Now, this may be something that he learned back in the day that 
if your sound guy is pulling down your fader or muting you, you never go up to the mic until you're actually going to sing. Mm-hmm. And if if you make a very deliberate approach to the mic, there is no question, you know? Right. And he, he is so good at that. And he makes it like a, he's like a fish or something. He's like wiggling from side to side. And he's like, boom, <laughs> like, like he, I, I like that. And, and, and I thought, I don't, I, I was wondering if he, if he, you know, dances the TikTok videos with his kids. Cause he does have like, like, like a very kind of dancey bouncy thing with, 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 with the bare feet that was more pronounced on this tour than it was on the to the bone tour Mm -hmm. um where he's maybe allowing himself to be youthful and i'm projecting that it's because he's you know a father um i don't know Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't a calculated thing it wasn't um like this dance goes with this song it's it seems to be part of his personality and part of where he is in life right now that he's expressing himself that way i i i will say i think it was on anesthetize he did a keyboard solo that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up that sounded like a fuck up i mean he was just using the wrong patch at the wrong time and i have no idea why they let him do that like someone needed to talk him out of that that was the only kind of stevens on the wrong path kind of a thing that i heard and like 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 he shouldn't do a lot of guitar solos right right Right. because he's not a guitar soloist he should do just the cute ones that he knows really well Mm -hmm. and he should do zero piano solos yeah i i i was i was honestly a little put out by the fact that he had his own keyboard rig um in the middle of the stage it just seemed a little unnecessary but whatever um right it was right behind him the whole time and right he used it all of twice you know? exactly but Funny. you know it's it's stephen wilson's world and we're just living in it and again i think he's so he's so phenomenal overall you know it, it sounds like i'm being really snarky and bitchy but i i i I'm afraid I'm in a situation where I'm going to have to pay to see Stephen Wilson every time I possibly can until he starts to really suck ass, which I don't see happening. <laughs> okay. You, you went out of your way to criticize his speech, like his the, the things he talks about, the way he does it, his condescending tone, I think, is what you're getting at there. Yes. Yeah, he's... He, does he embody us at 20 years old at like 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 did he did he embody the 90s cynicism and 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 and, and make that part of his, <laughs> just just sort of encase it in some sort of acrylic shell and carry yes. it around <laughs> yes it could very well be i mean he says things online like 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 he was quoted as as saying like a lot of the modern neo prog metal bands do things that are pieces crammed together with no logic. And if you are someone who, you know, does mixing, mastering, and, you know, potentially touring with those kinds of bands, why would you 
alienate yourself from the neighboring genre, but he just can't help himself. Yeah, that's true. Well, he's big friends with Marillion, and that describes their last couple of efforts pretty well, I think. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> aren't, aren't you glad I missed a lot that, that episode? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you were not here for an hour before it's dark yes all, all i really wanted to say on, on that episode was that i i don't think i can ever get into a marillion album until i see them perform it live really yeah because i felt the same way about fear and then we saw the show at gladside and i was completely enamored and i couldn't stop listening to it after that yep yep i haven't seen i haven't seen them live yet since an hour before dark there you go um, Marillion Weekend, North America, right before my birthday. Just saying. Oh. Um, so, so let's talk actually about the show, shall we? Um, so they they came out and they opened with uh, Blackest Eyes, which is from In Absentia, which is, Paul, that's the record that I think you point to most often. Um, Apple Music kept pointing me to, I believe it's called Deadwing, which I actually quite like um a lot um but anyway so they they do that song and then he stops and he talks and he basically says that announces that they are going to play every song on the new album and that the songs on the new album are very very hard and all the old stuff i think he described it as um a piss but all the new stuff was very very hard so yeah, they they did, and then he goes right into Harridan, which was just freaking killer. Um, How did the bass sound? The bass was still a little muddy um, at that point, a little overwhelming with everything. That's a song where you want perfect bass. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't really get that. It probably wasn't until I would say somewhere, you know, even less or drown with me. Um, songs five or six that they started to kind of get the the handle on it. Okay. Um. So so yeah, they played every track from the new record, which was very very um enjoyable. Now, herd culling was that the one with the scary wolf dog whatever videos. Oh, that would make sense now, wouldn't it? It would. That was sure. that that was one of those those experiences, right? Where music like their their whole stage show I thought was was pretty entertaining, but that particular one like the music and the the visuals that I was getting were like creeping me out in the most delightful way absolutely thought that was uh, a big hit but they you know so they they played a couple of tracks from in absentia um they hit stupid dream um there was one i had one from Lightbulb sun that of course was the last chance to evacuate planet earth um actually and um buying new soul i think is a b-side from Lightbulb sun not 100 percent certain about that and they had a couple of from Fear of a Blank Planet. And so Fear of a Blank Planet, the song actually was released 
on the second Blackfield record. So I've known that song for a really long time. Mm. But that was another one where, you know, they had the visuals that went with that one were absolutely terrifying. Um, a bunch of, of children. V- yeah, a bunch of children taking a lot of pharmaceuticals and pointing guns at themselves and other people. And it was just very disturbing. You know, we, uh, meaning, meaning the Dave Ayers posse, had a conversation about, you know, how many times has Porcupine Tree used the word pill in a lyric? Mm. So just, just, just throwing that out there, someone will already have the answer, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Steven's very concerned with all these kids taking pills. I would have to say, though, for me, the... And again, keep in mind that I was not particularly familiar with, you know, with the exception of the song Fear of a Blank Planet, I was familiar with virtually none of these songs. I had heard probably quite a lot of them um, a couple of times, um, but I was not prepared. But Anesthetize blew me away completely. Um, And it was was funny because Stephen, you know, I, I don't. Can you tell me if he did it in Philly? Because maybe he was taking taking it easy on us poor Texans. But he he warned the audience that this was going to be a long song and that we needed to basically hold our water. And a lot of the audience missed, uh, you know, got tripped up on you know a section ending that they thought was the song ending, but it wasn't. Which actually brings me to another point. Very interesting visual cue that the band decided upon. And that was, you always knew when a song ended because there were these two racks of lights that were um, diagonal at the back of the stage, very large lights. And they would always go blue and point, you know, down onto the stage. That's I when did appreciate the consistency. That's when you knew a song was over. Oh, the blue lights. I can clap now. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, kind of yeah, funny. Yeah. But okay. I mean, I guess when a band hasn't toured in, you know, 12 years or whatever, you know, you need to sort of make some accommodations. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I did like that. And just, just, just fundamentally, th- there was a simplicity to the lights, but they were still cool as all friggin hell they really were yeah this was not the genesis reunion light show in comparison but it was damn cool and and one of the things that we were talking about was it wasn't the the visual portion was not repetitive obviously there's a big screen on the back with you know different visuals for each song but the lights themselves because oftentimes you get into this sort of rut Right, where you're like, oh, there's there's the blue light that arcs over into the green light that arcs over into the red light, or you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, I've seen that spinny pattern five times before. I, I was never really caught up with any of that. So, um, you know, overall, they kept me extremely entertained throughout this whole thing. Yeah, smoking show, absolutely. And just the right amount of choreographed video, but not the entire show either. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't overwhelming in any way, shape, or form. And again, I think the visuals they had 
were really good. Now, I, I struggle here because I don't know how much to credit this to Steven and how much to credit it to the other guys um, in the band, right? But but Steven has demonstrated this attention to detail before. This is not new from Steven. And I will, you know, with all due respect, and again, they were much better this last tour, but I'll I'll never, ever forget you know, that the documentary for the 2007 Genesis tour. And they've got this huge stage and screen, and there's this guy who's got this video of this, you know, polygon running man. That has nothing to do with anything Genesis has ever done. He's like, this is cool, I got this. And they're like, all right, great, let's throw it on the cage, why not? And it yeah. just, it just, you know, a complete lack of regard for the visuals with the song and Steven slash porcupine tree does not do that. And I appreciate no. it. No, no. What no, was giving you the full package. Ken, what was, what was your favorite part of, of the, the show? I'm going to go with Richard Barbieri. Really? Only because you didn't say it. I mean, Oh my God. I mean, you, you, you really need to catch his vibe to understand porcupine tree um you know steve wilson plays with different folks uh from you know blackfield to solo to porcupine tree and then gavin harrison you know we've he's done frost and freaking king crimson and porcupine tree and all this and the mystery uh secret ingredient to porcupine tree you know, I, I knew he had worked with Steve Hogarth and, and different things, but truly, the, the, this this vibe, this truly sonic, creepy vibe that is Porcupine Tree, the 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 indispensable keyboard sounds, and he goes from one layer to the next, and he doesn't have a lot of gear. This is not Rick Wakeman. He's not yeah. surrounded by an arsenal of of you know. Um, multi-octave devices he, he, he did, did he have only like really three primary keyboards and then some other gadgets i i, I think i was but, kind of far away but that seems about right yeah it was not he certainly had no more than four primary keyboards yeah yeah i mean he's almost more in line, you know, we recently reviewed the fix. What was his name? Um, Rupert Greenall. Yes, and very in line with 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 Rupert and that kind of vibe. Where, you know, the song is, you know, only, you know, between three to seven minutes long, but the dude has so many different parts lined up with different patches and building you and building and messing with you and i think he's the secret ingredient to porcupine tree i think um, he's um he's very understated too with regards to that um and maybe it's just because steven's so busy gobbling up all the limelight um, right. that he's just back there doing his thing and in his own space and vibe like you're talking about ken but you know he's not he's not worried about necessarily the audience he was just making his stuff 
Yeah, it, it's truly a joy for me to to to, to focus on his contribution there. Um, we knew the muscle, Gavin Harrison in particular. Um, and I, I, I hate to say it, but with the exception of Harridan and a few other places and, and some brilliant fretwork by uh, Colin Edwin, Porcupine Tree is not about the bass. Um, so Nate Navarro had a fantastic role, a supporting role. But he wasn't stealing the spotlight from anyone at all. No, absolutely not. Uh, so, 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 you know, it was, it was clear what that was going to be. The guitars are often in unison. Most songs have a unison section. Um, except when, you know, Steven's on the acoustic. Um, but anytime they're both on electric, they're going to come together and give you that, that, that two guitar sensation somewhere yeah. in the song. Yeah, and I think what makes Porcupine Tree different from other Stephen Wilson projects and other frog bands is is just the textures and and the real attention, the detail that Richard Barbieri's putting in there. He's 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 kind of like the artsy textured equal to mark kelly in that regards i mean i mean i mean you know if if you had to create a spectrum of well-known uh he, he's not he's not going to be jordan rudis or rick wakeman or even jeff downs you know he, he's he's purely going for vibe and i really dig it song wise you know of the new day i thought was a perfect third track mm -hmm. really really love that track when, when you've got so much high-powered drop tuned 90s music that stuff wears the fuck out of me um like i've never you know and i <laughs> i love king sex um uh but I'm, I've never tried to go see, like, you know, Pearl Jam or um, Soundgarden, you know, and I'm sure they're amazing, but, but, but all that dirgy 90s stuff wore me down. And this is not that. They, you know, they, 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 they get in there, they get dirty, they, they, they do the, you know, I, I should say early 2000s thing, not not purely 90s, but, you know, they, they, they do that grunge thing and then they quickly bounce out of it to something else. And I think that is the the genius of of, of Stephen, that, he, that he's willing to have gorgeous ballads mixed in with all of this dark stuff. And, and of the new day is a, is a, a beautiful example of that. Chimera's Wreck, new song, just starts out with a lot of beautiful arpeggiated guitar and then does the dirgy thing and kind of bounces out and give you some melody. It's just the way he writes. He's just got, he's just got beautiful melodies. I think what I'm trying to say is, you know, there was a chance for me that this concert could go a little south and it did not. It did. It didn't lead me into that dark nothingness. 
he 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 always <laughs> unlike the album the raven that refused to sing um he, he, he didn't he didn't beat me up and leave me in a quarter he 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 beat me up and elevated me you know yeah that's true and it's funny i was not ready for a no opener three hour set I right thought, i thought that was you know a bit shocking uh but it was i I enjoyed every last second of it. Oh, you know what? I th there was this tall, gray-haired guy in the audience that really could have been Jerry Gaskill. <laughs> <laughs> um, just just uh, leaving the balcony at the end of the night, and I I just I thought that would be so cool. But who was definitely there? Um, uh, Mike Portnoy was outside just hanging out the way he does. I, I think, I, I, you know, he, he, he comes to shows in this area. I swear um, he was at the Keswick for um, the, the Haken show mm. uh, not that long ago and with Symphony X. He, he, ju he just hung out right in front of the box office, talking to fans, doing his thing, you know, just, 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 just being a cool dude. If you look on the wikis, uh, on the list of people who have complimented Porcupine Tree, it in includes like you know Neil Peart and all these awesome cats, Mike Mike Portnoy, and there's a reason for that because because it's kind of it's weird, but it's like a a geeks band's geek band, a frogs band, frog band. Yeah, yeah. The list here is Neil Peart, Alex Lifeson, Adrian Ballou, Jordan Rudis, Mike Portnoy. Uh, Aaron Lucasen, Rob Swire, and the band Haken, and many others have uh, quotes expressing admiration for Porcupine Tree. And and I, you know, I swear a third of the guys in the audience were guitar players. You know, mm -hmm. it's a given. I I don't even I don't have notes from the show. I don't have anything other than I just lost myself for three hours in an absolute wonderful musical experience and i have since um committed myself to filling out my porcupine tree catalog so i will do that and you know i think this is it's it, it's funny we here at the palaver have sort of skated around porcupine tree for the five years five plus years we've been doing this and I think it's maybe time that we stop doing that. Say what? I'm in. I have. What, I have. What are the rules? I'm. <laughs> what? I, so I, I I think it's yeah. time we we consider doing porcupine tree. Ken is my point. Oh, okay, okay, fascinating. So I I have a quick question because I, I'm going to start with Harry Styles. Okay, I know that sounds like it's out of left field, but. I don't really like anything that Harry Styles has put out on the radio. Um, however, uh, it at, at some point in time in the last year, it's been impossible to go on social media and not see clips of people posting stuff from Harry Styles concerts. And perhaps I'm in the minority, but after a while, I was like, okay, I have to see what it's all about and talk to some people 
and got a few tips on songs and went in and actually found that I like I totally get Harry Styles. He may in fact be the Barry Manilow of of the 2020s. How so I have to ask like I saw some you know I saw this one fantastic post that somebody put on Instagram and it was the very beginning of the Porcupine Tree show when it starts with these blackest eyes and and the guy is like filming and the video comes up on the back of the stage and you hear his girlfriend say, put that away. They're going to kick you out and like literally knocks his phone down and <laughs> you see like slam into the floor. Right. Funny. And, but when I saw that, I was like, holy fuck. Oh my. I, and I felt so much worse that I didn't see the show when I saw, when I saw that. And I, I can't, I can't help but think that they're doing themselves somewhat of an injustice by not letting social media be their be their messenger of of what they're delivering in the live show. What what do you guys think? It's funny you bring that up because I mean, again, I, I it was everywhere as soon as you got there. Um, you know, you read it, and I was, as I said, I respected it, but I was also thinking about the last Domino tour, where Genesis were actively encouraging people to to be their marketing arm and to post on Instagram and everything else and and you saw a lot of buzz at you know yeah. around those shows now and it scared me away <laughs> i mean if i wasn't already right <laughs> well i can guarantee you if you saw um audience clips from this show you would feel even worse because it was phenomenal but you know at at the same time I think it's a preference thing, right? You have to respect the fact that they didn't want this. And by all accounts, they didn't need it. I mean, they they didn't sell out the Toyota Music Factory, but not a lot of prog people come through the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You know, I saw Stephen Wilson at the House of Blues, which was, you know, what, a few hundred maybe? And this was significantly bigger than that. Uh, it was clearly sold out at the Metropolitan Opera House of Philadelphia. And and uh, they were um, sold out in New York prior in probably the Canadian shows. Uh, so, th yeah, this is no doubt. It, 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 it's worth mentioning, Paul, when we saw Stephen Wilson at the Fillmore on the Two to Bone tour, he actually, somewhere after the third or fourth song, he said, Oh, I was hoping to sell a few more seats here or something on the order of that. <laughs> like the dude has no filter. He says yeah. the weirdest damn things that yeah. that's yeah. hysterical. Now I know I want to say it may have been at the Washington DC show, but it could have been at the Met where a uh, local uh, Wilmington photographer, uh, Joe Del Tufo, uh, who is photographer of the stars, if you will, was at the show and posted some pretty outrageous but in in a in a good way, mm -hmm. photos yeah. of of the concert. Nice, and and that is cool too, right? Instead of seeing everybody's like you know, terrible iPhone cameras or whatever they are, even though they're pretty good, you know those pictures where you see these carefully curated, professionally shot photos of the whole band. Uh, I, I mean, that's pretty fantastic. So I like that, and I certainly could understand that they don't want to be distracted by people sticking their phones up at them all night but it just seems to me like you know whether the you know 
it's sort of like with the NFL, you know, if you sell the show out, you put it on TV, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I get both sides of it. I just feel like there's, there's, a, there's plenty of buzz to uh, be had with Porcupine Tree, and I feel like maybe they're missing out on a little. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and like you said, you know, compared to the Genesis shows, this is actually something that would generate more interest and not terrify yeah, people. Exactly. Um, as a quick aside, I happen to see, speaking of, of social media, the one that I do uh, play around on Instagram, um, Nick Collins today announcing that he's joining Mike and the Mechanics. So I guess, uh, you know, Nick Collins is continuing to get work off uh, his dad's gigs. Nice, nice. So, so yeah, yeah, he must have really bonded there with Mike Rutherford. That's great. Wow. Um, I, I wanted to circle back on that capacity thing. Um, your Toyota Center goes up to 18,000 people. So in, a, in Philadelphia language, um, the Freedom Mortgage Pavilion, which you would know as BB&T or the Waterfront in Camden. Mm -hmm. uh, did you ever go there, Joe, when you were here in Delaware or Philly or anything like that? I don't believe I have, no. Okay, that's probably our biggest. You know, that, that was always OzFest or whatnot. I was there for sticks recently. Um, that has 25,000 and indoor capacity underneath the awning kind of a thing is 7,000. Our Wells Fargo, where we saw Genesis, 21,000 or maybe 21.5. Uh, the man center is smaller, but we love it to death. 14,000, one of my favorite theaters. Same thing. Under the awning uh, uh, has uh, 4,700. Um, and then and, and and your Toyota Center is somewhere between you know those two the the Wells yeah. Fargo or the, or, or, or the Man so it, it, it it's right up there with 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 Philadelphia standards you guys aren't schleps by any by any terms uh, the, the 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 Opera House that they sold out for us though it's only showing up as thirty five hundred wow so so he was guaranteed to sell that out from the moment that they picked that theater. And I, 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 I feel like uh, I'm blessed to have seen King Crimson and, and Stephen Wilson in that small room because uh, clearly they probably could have gone a little bigger. All right, so I need to buy more porcupine tree and enjoy um, all that it has to offer and to you know, put it in line with my Stephen Wilson and my Blackfield catalogs. And I'm very, very glad I went to the show. I enjoyed all the musicians. I enjoyed the visuals. I enjoyed most of the sound. And Joe, yeah, Joe, when you when you go and start purchasing Porcupine Tree uh, albums, do you think uh, any of them will be deluxe box sets? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I do not, um, and, and, and I missed an opportunity. So Closure Continuation obviously came out with a whole bunch of different versions. And when I originally bought the tickets for the show, I was looking at it on Burning Shed, and I could have purchased a silver vinyl version Ooh. for a very reasonable price. I mean, in terms of vinyl, it was like 
40 bucks, maybe 50 at tops. Um, it was sold out by the time I went back to actually make the purchase. And now they are unobtainable for less than um, much, much more than that. Looks like $83 on the Porcupine Tree website. There you go. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Don't know that I'm going to be getting... I, I've kind of made the the um, the prudent decision to pursue all of these on CD only at this point. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that really catches my eye, I can go back in and fill it in with uh, with vinyl later. I, I, you know, I would. Uh, this is going to sound crazy, but I would bet you that most of the Porcupine Tree albums, because of the era that they were recorded in, you're probably not going to gain anything by getting it on vinyl. Yeah, I, other I, than other than the aesthetic of listening to it on vinyl. However. Uh, close your continuation. Maybe there is a, a deluxe CD box set available, also, Joe. So maybe you could. You can also get it on cassette. Yeah, I, I don't know why Stephen Wilson is offering cassettes. The the cassette, like intellectually, I understand what vinyl brings to the table. Beyond misplaced nostalgia there's nothing that cassettes bring to the table there's there's no there's no sonic quality that's better there's no longevity that's That's better worse there's there's nothing about cassettes that make them worthwhile ken when you were duping cassettes at morningstar back in the day Mm -hmm. what were i mean what did it cost bands to like dupe cassettes Right, and and that was just a small studio. I mean, you could go across the what became disc makers or whatever still did right. cassettes for years if you were doing the big stuff. But if you had a band, you had to. Uh, and and oh my god, I, I did all those uh, hotel and convention gigs where uh, you would record the keynote speech and sell it to the participants for uh, a ridiculous amount. So if you want to talk money, people would pay 20 bucks for one cassette if it had the keynote speech yeah. on it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. So for 14 bucks, <laughs> right. That's probably, that's, you know, after shipping, I mean, they're pro- and they probably get a couple dollars out of the shipping from you too. I mean, they're probably making 1395 off that, off that uh, cassette tape. But you're oh, right, Joe. It's silliness. Man. It's just silly that they do that. I do like the the uh, trend of of the vinyl on forty five now for higher studio quality. I actually don't really enjoy that. Um, one of the Stephen Wilsons is on forty five, and I have to remind myself of which one it is. Um, otherwise, you end up, you know, it just you know. Then you've got to stop the record and change the speed and. And plus, you just tear through discs so quickly. But yeah, there's a lot of flipping when that happens. Joe, do you think it's better to purchase uh, your Porcupine Tree uh, stuff on the Porcupine Tree website link, or is it okay to just go to Burning Shed? Do you think that they're getting their their just due? I I mean I I don't know I. If I need to get something imported from the UK, Burning Shed's usually my first stop. Um, but they, they're running a little bit low on certain things unless you're getting just the CD. So Yeah, they do a good job, too. 
Uh, I was, well, we'll talk about that on the next episode. Awesome. Oh my God. Wrap it up. I, I have an outro thought. I will wrap it up. So yeah, um, very, very excited by all of this. Glad to have a new mission in my life and something that I can work to discover and learn more about. And again, um, I, I'm for whatever grousing that I do, I think any excuse to have more Stephen Wilson in my life is a good thing. Yeah. So gentlemen, thanks for uh, coming along, sharing some thoughts. Ken, I'm glad you and I got to see these shows relatively close together. Paul, I'm very, very sorry that you bought your tickets so far in advance that you had overscheduled yourself <laughs> over top of it. It's uh, it's very, very sad. Um, very sad that you didn't get to see this show and um yeah we still have to answer the question of who we did see in holland in 2007 but apparently it was not porcupine tree <laughs> so gentlemen um until next week when we talk about whatever it is we're going to talk about which we've got a couple different options so we still have to figure that out but always a pleasure to share some musical thoughts with you guys and look forward to seeing what concerts we have next. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcasts. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.